Hello, and welcome to CART, a podcast about coffee and related topics. My name is Blake Barber. And my name is Joseph Jenkins, owner and lead educator of Sustained Coffee Company. This podcast was initially inspired by the many questions that were asked during monthly Coffee 101 classes. The aim of this show is to talk through the ultra basics, cafe culture with friends, and dive into more detailed, science-focused aspects of the fruit we eat cherish. We're happy you're here. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Episode 19, Education, Education, Education. So today's conversation will be taking a break from the normal coffee-heavy conversation, and instead we'll lean into a conversation on education as a whole. Blake Barber is with me today, host of the Critical Teacher Podcast, and he's visited the cafe that I work at pretty frequently, and through that, we've had a few brief conversations that are more or less on surface level of our passions and interests, and eventually the conversations led to us talking about our own podcast ventures. Upon listening to Blake's podcast, it was realized that there are some parallels in our approaches, or at least our levels of passion when it comes to education. While Blake is not in the coffee industry, he is in the education field, and it's clear to see that his passion is something that we can definitely talk about. So Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joseph. I'm glad to be here. So before we learn about exactly who you are, along with our main discussion on education, we always like to start with some coffee questions. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. So what you drinking? You want me to go first? I can I, totally go first. I would love to go first. Please. Uh, so I am drinking something a little bit more gnarly um, and fun outside of like my normal choice. I, I'm drinking a Colombian um, by Black and White Roasters. It's a lactic washed coffee. I brewed it in a Chemex. Uh, the ratio was 35 grams to 560 grams. And when I tasted it, I immediately tasted just berries um, and it's pretty acidic, but it doesn't linger very long. It's a super clean cup of coffee, um, a lot of fun, very refreshing. It feels like something that I shouldn't be drinking in the middle of winter. It feels like something I should be drinking in like late spring, early summer. Um, so uh, super fun cup of coffee. So interestingly enough, Blake is drinking something that is one of my favorite coffees of probably the past eight months and certainly one of my favorite from Black and White. Um, I actually had a cup of that this morning, but this afternoon, I'm enjoying a Bunamwo Papua New Guinea. It's roasted by Honest Coffee, and the specific farm is grown on volcanic soil where a medium density shade strategy is utilized, where it uses two types of shade trees, and this promotes even ripening of ch coffee cherries and also provides a habitat for at least 90 species of birds. Similar to last week, I'm using a bit of a higher dosage than what I normally do, um, and it's to make it shareable with a loved one. And the recipe went like this, 30 grams of coffee, 489 grams of water, with a, again, longer bloom, like last week, 45 seconds, and then heavy pours that were completed only when the brew bed was dry. And the, fall, the final drawdown time and filter pool was at 315. And we've been enjoying this coffee for like two years now. It's something that Honest keeps um, yearly and what was once a sweet tobacco taste this season has instead been tasting sticky and root beer like with this olive oil type mouthfeel that is just wonderful so that's what we're drinking 
Man, that coffee feels a little bit more up my alley. They're like <laughs> strong, kind of heavier flavors, the tobacco flavors. It sounds really earthy. It's got, that's funny because normally that's not what I'm drinking. Usually I'm drinking <laughs> super floral, super fruity, super like what you were saying, acidic, um, much like the Colombian. Okay, very good. So, um, but we know that you're not a coffee professional, but that doesn't mean that you don't have preferences. So what would you say that your favorite region or go-to um, region of coffee is from just what you've, what you've been enjoying at home? Yeah, I think I have the temptation to say like Ethiopian is something that I go to often. And I think the reason is that is maybe not necessarily my preference. Actually, I know it's not that my preference. I get it recommended uh, oftentimes in coffee shops. Whenever I just ask the barista what they recommend, it's oftentimes a Ethiopian of sorts. <laughs> um, but there is a there's a small roaster in Springfield, Missouri. It's where my parents live. And whenever I go there, I go to a coffee shop in this small roaster called Brick and Mortar, and they have a Sumatran there that I just absolutely love. It's like heavy in body. It's super earthy. It has some spice to it. Um, and most importantly, it feels really hard to mess up in the brewing process. Ah. It feels like it gives me a lot of grace. If I over extract <laughs> it or under extract it, it's still a pretty consistent cup of coffee for me, which is really important. Um, I've had a few Ethiopians when you over extract or under extract the coffee is just like a little bit unbearable. Um, and just in terms of like the acidity that comes from it. So I really enjoy Sumatrans. Um, I enjoy more earthy full bodied coffees. That's interesting that you specifically call out Sumatra. You are the first person on the show to say Sumatra as your like go-to region. So that's, that's fun. That's crazy. That's awesome. You're kind of already hinting to this next question, and it's this thought of emotions and their ties to taste. And I have more or less confirmed with myself that everyone has this in some sort of way, especially with coffee. And it's um, the quick explanation of it. We've talked about it a lot on the show is a lot of times what you grow up with or um, maybe your own culture that you're around and the foods that you eat really influence what you like specifically in coffee. For me, it's really floral, um, tea-like anything is my jam. And that's because my mom growing up um, always had tea around the house and hence I was always drinking very good, very expensive teas. So with that being said, what kind of emotional taste do you predict or identify with your, your own tasting journey? That's a really wonderful question. And before we started recording this podcast, I was thinking deeply about it. It's like a super nostalgic question of like, where did this preference of taste come from? Um, and when I'm thinking about like the earthiness and like the spiciness of coffees and like kind of the heavier side of coffees, I began to think about like my family was, was my mom specifically was a gardener. Um, I grew up in a small farming town, um, was around fresh produce and the earth and soil. And that is like something that I've adopted and has taken with me um, wherever I've gone, sure. um, whether it be college, undergrad, all the way here to Memphis. Um, I've always had a garden. Um, and now that I have a daughter who's almost two, she's come out to the garden with me. And every spring, 
it's only been one spring for her, but every spring I plant sweet peas and um, lettuce, and then we have tomato starts. And there's just something uh, really alluring and nostalgic about like the taste of like vegetation and earthiness uh, that is just really um, sentimental and has like a deep uh, nostalgia uh, for me. So I, I guess that is my emotional tie to that particular taste. I love that question um, a whole lot. Well, I love that answer. Earthy and earthy is directly related to gardening. So that's that's great. I love that answer. That we know some general coffee interest. Would you briefly share exactly who you are and what it is that occupies your day to day? Yes, my name is Blake Barber. Um, I'm first and foremost a dad and a husband. Uh, I am a dad to Simone, who is a almost two year old girl, and I have gotten to spend some quality time with her during this pandemic. Um, and then I am also an instructional coach and adjunct professor at an organization called Memphis Teacher Residency. Um, they are an organization that works with first year teachers to get them certified and then offers them support for um, up to four years in their various placements um, within SCS, which is Shelby County Schools and the ASD, which is the Achievement School District. Um, I teach courses in education psychology and elementary reading methods, reading and literacy, as well as answering questions on how is it that people learn is my passion. Uh, and then I'm also a doctoral student at the University of Memphis studying education policy. And I do all of that by day and by night, like many others during this pandemic, have started a podcast. Uh, it is called the Critical Teacher Podcast, and it is a podcast that focuses on looking at history and the policies surrounding education in the United States um, and begins to ask the question of what are schools for and how can we make them um, healthy and full places for all people to learn. Excellent. So that is immediately just proof as to why I was interested in having you on the show. Education is something that I am very passionate about and that I am constantly trying to evaluate. And I think it's interesting that you have this psychology education background. And last week we talked about the coffee journey timeline. It was something that I had just kind of came up with through several discussions and several listener questions and realized that, oh, we all go through these different learning cycles. And when I shared that with you, you um, shared with me that there's also a similar thing in education and in just education as a, a general rule, which is the Cobb cycle. Um, could you tell us a bit about that cycle? Yeah, and so the Kolb cycle is this uh, idea that was brought to you by um, Henry Kolb in the 1980s. And it was just this idea of how people progress in knowledge. And so when we think about knowledge, it, it is this like really big topic. And so in my case, I'm thinking about how teachers learn how to teach. And my teachers are thinking about how students learn how to read or how students learn how to um, uh, compute math problems and solve math problems and uh, read number um, sentences. 
and so on. And, and, and in your case, um, one of the things that like is really highlighted in your mission and that I really like is you're fixated on education because you firmly believe that in order to adequately appreciate something such as coffee, there must be a level of understanding that comes through education. Right. And the cold cycle begins to explain how humans begin to learn. And it always begins with an experience. Uh, we are incredibly um, non-rational people. I know that <laughs> humans and uh, a whole period of history believes, called modernity, believes that humans are incredibly rational people. Um, we aren't, we're victims to our experience. And if we don't acknowledge that people come to us with experiences, we're never gonna be able to teach them um, because we have to begin to center on experiences and help people reflect on those experiences. So if you can begin to think of the cold cycle in a circle, at the top of that circle is something called concrete experience. And it's kind of the entry point into this cycle. And then if we go to the right, there is something called reflective observation. And that's when we take a step back, we look at our experience and we ask what happened and why did it happen? And a lot of times as humans, we're not able to do that on our own. We actually need the guidance of somebody. We need a teacher sure. uh, to help us begin to ask those questions of what happened, why did it happen? And then what can I do next time? And with that last question of what can I do next time, you go to the next section of this cycle, which is a really big fancy word called abstract conceptualization. But that's just like beginning to draw a conclusion um, and learn from that experience. And during this like abstract conceptualization, you may have an expert that is coming alongside of you that's giving you some new information to make sense of what you saw and what happened in your initial experience. And as you begin to draw this conclusion through the help of an expert or through the guidance of an expert, you come to this last part of the Kolb cycle, which is called active experimentation, which is where a human takes the concrete experience, the reflection of that experience, the conclusion that has come from that experience and begins to try something new with a brand new experience. And Kolb would have suggested that that's where learning has happened. Um, when we have something new to offer uh, an, another experience. And then the cycle starts all over again. Um, after that act active experimentation, you have a concrete experience. You begin to reflect on that experience. You go through some conclusions and then you try something new. And as I was listening to your timeline and thinking through uh, discovery into the honeymoon phase, into you're going to have to forgive me, what's that next step? Um, after honeymoon is maturity. Maturity. Um, and then eventually, uh, sometimes it's the, the leave, uh, the leaving of the coffee industry, correct? Right. Um, and so this process is going to take you through that timeline of like, you may be a, a novice coffee drinker and all of a sudden you drink what I'm drinking currently and it's perfectly extracted and you realize that like coffee can have some insane flavor profiles um, that are like berry and rich and uh, filled with life and it isn't just uh, a sweet drink from Starbucks anymore and you had that experience and somebody's asking you, you might also you might all of a sudden be asking like why was that what caused that to happen that way 
and you might all of a sudden walk into a coffee shop and ask that question and somebody like offers some information around like some of the chemistry and science behind coffee and then all of a sudden you're hooked and you realize that there's like this brand new world and you go into coffee shops and you just start trying different coffees um that's going to like get you into that honeymoon phase and then the honeymoon phase you might all of a sudden realize that coffee isn't always ethical and you might like search into supply chains um and you might have an expert come alongside you and tell you a little bit about like ethically sourced coffee and how we make sure that like farmers are praised for the work that they do and not just uh allow coffee to be i I don't know if you've talked about this at all and i'm not very familiar with coffee but like coffee has like become this really like weird uh social media influencer um phenomenon i feel like there's just like a a ton of people on Instagram promoting coffee um, and they're getting a lot of notoriety, but not necessarily the farmers who actually make the coffee. Um, But anyway, you might have an ex, you might have an expert come in and start guiding you through that process. And then your active experimentation is now you start like looking for ethically sourced coffee or only drinking ethically sourced coffee, or you begin to platform farmers on your social media account, whatever that might be wherever you are on that timeline, you're always partaking in this concrete experience, this reflection, this conclusion, and then this experimentation that you can have because you've concluded something from a a unique or novel experience. I love that you were able to really connect those two things together. I mean, it even helps me understand my own timeline that I constructed. Um, So thank you for that. Something that you just talked about too, about coffee maybe being a popular thing on social platforms or uh, seeing influencers or likewise individuals or even cafes that are highlighting coffee but they're not actually highlighting the farmer. I think that's something that is related to a topic that's been in my brain for months. It is humility and I think as educators humility is vital to how we are we're expressing our knowledge but I think humility also exists in the fact that if those farmers did not exist, then you would not be able to be getting any traction or your cafe would not exist if you did not have, or it may exist, but it's not going to be coffee focused, right? So with that, let's talk briefly about the something that's been on my brain, which is something I like to think of as edification. And it's something that I'm constantly asking myself when I'm writing podcasts or whenever I'm um, teaching coffee classes, which is like, who am I and who are we seeking to edify in our education approach? Is it myself or is it those being taught? Or is it the process or is it the people who make the process happen? Um, I think of like college professors or other instructors, ones that have been largely negative or overtly prideful in their approach. Um, And I think this can cause a sort of artificial burnout in students or in people who are receiving this information. Um, Say there's a subject that someone's really interested in. And the source that they go to can really be a determining factor in whether or not that interest continues or gets diminished. And therefore, the inverse approach of humility and edification of the learner exists. I believe there's a fair, far greater passion and drive that can be instilled. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think there, like you started this episode off saying education, education, education. And then if there was like, a tagline after that would be relationship, relationship, relationship. Um, Because at the heart of uh, all teaching 
and student relationships or teacher and student relationships is, is relationship. How are we um, inviting students into this knowledge? How are we inviting and lowering the threshold of coffee or the teaching practice or the reading practice for novice learners? And I think largely why this doesn't happen a lot, or you, you spoke to a professor that is just is really arrogant or prideful, is in a teacher-student relationship, we can also call it an expert-novice relationship. And there is a ton of science behind expertise um, and novice learners, the way we store knowledge as experts versus the way we store knowledge as novices um, is an incredible thing to study. Uh, as an education psychology professor, I could spend hours talking about it on this podcast, and I'm sure we could find ways to connect it to coffee in all sorts of ways. Um, but I want to talk specifically about three barriers that experts have when um, trying to invite novices into the knowledge that they have. Um, and in the case of your listeners, thinking about inviting people into the knowledge of coffee. And the first kind of barrier to the relationship and having a really great and healthy relationship between teacher and student is when experts see themselves as gatekeepers of knowledge. Um, I talked a little bit about lowering the threshold so that more people can come in and be invited into the, the, the thinking about and the knowledge of coffee or the thinking about and the knowledge of um, reading instruction. Experts um, can be incredibly insecure people um, because they have spent their entire life trying to know something and in inviting more people in, um, there can be either a conscious idea that letting more people in is gonna change the knowledge that they know, or there's gonna be a subconscious level of like, we do a weird thing as humans and think all other humans are competition mm -hmm. instead of just like allowing people to be. And so experts become this weird gatekeeper of knowledge, um, which is just not okay. Um, I don't think uh, knowledge is something to be kept, but I think experts can fall into that temptation of like, this person is worthy of the knowledge and this person isn't. Uh, and so experts can become these weird gatekeepers. And if we want to have a healthy teacher to student relationship, we need to begin to like counteract that narrative. Um, in order to allow more people to have access to that knowledge. And then there's a other barrier um, called uh, expert blind spots. Uh, there's this really cool study by a man named De Groot where he has a novice chess player and a grandmaster chess player. And the uh, researchers that were doing the study showed a, a chessboard that was in mid game. So there was about 20 pieces on the board and they showed it for five seconds and then asked the novice and the grandmaster to replicate the board as fast as they could. The novice, of course, only was able to get one or two pieces while the grandmaster had only one or two errors. So he was able to place 16 of the 18 pieces perfectly. And then you listen to the novice explain their thinking and the novice was just able to like capture pieces one at a time and just try to remember one spot where one piece is and another spot where another piece is, and they didn't understand the game at all. Whereas you begin to like talk to the grandmaster, they were 
revealing their understanding of the strategy of the game. They understood that this particular piece was guarding this piece and it made sense that this piece was here because it was trying to attack this pawn. And he began to like piece the board together based upon all of this knowledge that he has grouped together in the form of a strategy. And so if that grandmaster was all of a sudden to sit down with a novice and begin to talk about chess, you may all of a sudden just like overwhelm the novice because you're talking in strategy and the novice just needs you to tell him or her how to move one of the pieces. And I think in coffee, coffee is this like incredibly deep and rich subject that has chemistry, that has supply chains, that has social and cultural and anthropological um, understanding. And all of a sudden, if you're an expert and you're super passionate about it and you invite a novice into that, you can all of a sudden overwhelm them and inundate them with information that they aren't ready for or just simply won't understand. And that can become incredibly discouraging for a novice. Um, and then the, the third point or the third barrier um, that can really jeopardize the relationship between a teacher and a student is the insecurities of an expert. Um, and I have some compassion for this because to be an expert means you have um, to work incredibly hard. Uh, there is certainly a privilege that comes along and there, the, you, you certainly have a privilege to become an expert. Um, and so some things are given to you in order to have an expertise about anything, but there's also a certain work ethic that one has to have to become an expert. Um, and so with that work ethic and you trying to um, figure out something and explain something on the deepest level possible, it's hard to invite somebody in that it might challenge that. Um, there's nothing more humbling than trying to teach a second grader how to read. And then they ask you a question of like, why does that letter say, make that sound? And you as like a human being stepping back and saying like, I know how to read. I like, I know how to synthesize reading. And this like second grader just asked me a question that I'm not really sure how to answer. It's like so basic and I can't answer it. And all of a sudden you're like thinking that your expertise is in jeopardy. Um, and it just simply isn't true. Um, but I think as humans, we really like to just constantly compete and to be a teacher means you let go of that competition. Um, you let go of this idea that another person's success is my failure. Like humans aren't zero sum games. Uh, <laughs> somebody can have success and you can also be great at what you do. Um, but that's a narrative that has to be tackled. Um, in our culture, I think in just an American Western culture in general, this idea of competition, that if somebody is winning, that means I'm losing. Um, so those are kind of the three barriers of expertise that I see like jeopardizing the relationship between teacher and student. That's, those are excellent thoughts. I have been sitting here taking notes as you speak because I really enjoy, enjoy that thought. Um, I think two things that you're speaking of there, um, certainly the, the last one, the insecurities of an expert, Whenever someone, you know, you're saying a second grader asks, well, why does that, why does that actually sound like that, right? That's something I can say that I and a lot of us on the sustained team have dealt with because while we are on this, say, maybe more maturity line in our timeline, we tend to talk about more really in-depth subjects, right? We're, we're not talking about just simple ratios anymore or water temperature was. We're talking about TDS. We're talking about... Uh, supply chains we're talking about the like you're saying at the beginning ethics we're talking about those kind of things because that's what our knowledge is shifting so that when someone asks us well 
what happens if you don't rinse your paper filter? It's like, well, I don't know. Like we just rinse our paper filters. It's what we do. Like, so it, it, it makes it harder to, um, to maybe go back to those moments of, um, feeling like, Oh, and I love what you said that it's like your, your expertise is being, is being questioned or it's being undermined in a way. And it's not, it's just that you're such, you're in such a high level in your thinking that you often forget the principles, um, which is why the timelines that we're talking about are so important to remember. Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember that experts can say, I don't know, and still be experts. Um, There's like a really powerful thing about a teacher saying like, well, I don't know. Let's like participate in this Kolb cycle together. We have have this experience of a paper filter and we didn't wash it. And let's like reflect on the coffee and the way that it tastes. And let's like, think about some of the chemistry and then let's go ahead and start again and let's go ahead and wash that paper filter and just like see what happens with the same coffee. Um, But that takes a lot of, as you said, and as you've brought up in other podcasts, that takes a lot of humility and that takes a lot of security in your craft and understanding. I think what's really also important in experts is that like, I am going to die before I fully understand education psychology (laughs) and like, you are going to no longer be on this earth at one point, Joseph. And like coffee knowledge is still going to carry on. Like knowledge is going to outlast us and our content is going to outlast us. And it's incredibly important that we like teach novices that, and that um, we allow that to like humble us as experts in a way that like this content, this content, this knowledge it's going to outlast me. And I'm like inviting as many people into this process as I can so that they can carry on the knowledge building of coffee or that they can carry on the knowledge building of teacher preparation and education psychology. Right. Exactly. I think and then another point to your, you know, three points of, of barriers that I was thinking of is that having a great deal of knowledge and being an expert, it does give you like this sense of authority. It requires a great deal of humility on the instructor or teacher or to yield that authority of knowledge. Um, because I believe that a lot of educating, or more simply put, just teaching someone something, involves this fostering of interest, like you're saying. So I think um, yeah. you you pointing out that these interests that you're fostering and that you're harboring and you're helping grow, um, they're going to outlast you. So I think that's that's an excellent sort of conclusion to that thought. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know it's uh, the night is ticking on. Are there any other things that are on your mind that you wanted to share before we wrap up today? Yeah, I think the thing I want to leave people with is that in this teaching and student relationship, we must not forget to honor the like splendor and grandeur and brilliance of people. Like humans are spectacular individuals, and I think to be a teacher is to like constantly fight for that truth. Um, I don't know about you or your listeners, but this last week um, with all the things that are happening with the election and all the violence that have occurred in our nation, not just like last week, but in the 2020 prior, I think it's really hard to hold on to that truth that like humans can be spectacular and brilliant people and your students can be spectacular and brilliant people and you as an expert coming alongside someone who is going to maybe surpass you in your knowledge someday is like just honoring that brilliance and honoring the innovation that can come from people. And so whether it be coffee or 
education psychology or economics or whatever the it might be like honor the people that you're teaching and believe and hold on to the belief that they are like splendid brilliant human beings that need the threshold lowered like we don't need to be keeping people out of the knowledge um uh that we're trying to share with the world uh and then also just honor your knowledge like honor your craft honor the fact that it is deep it is a deep well um that you will keep pulling from and pulling from and pulling from uh and when you can't pull from it any longer the people you have taught are going to continue to pull from that well um and change what it means to interact with coffee and in my case there's going to be teachers that change what it means to to do schooling better in the united states um and so honor those two things honor the people that you're teaching and honor your craft and the knowledge um that you have awesome Sweet. Thank you so much, Blake, for joining us today. Um, Be sure to check out Blake's show, um, which is the Critical Teacher Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. And thank you, listener, for listening to Season 2, Episode 19. You want to be featured on the show? You can. When you visit our website, um, you can submit a voice message. Otherwise, to submit your questions, corrections, and discussion starters, you can simply email us at 901sustaincoffee at gmail.com. And don't forget, we now have a official website and social media presence. On both platforms, you'll find brew guides, recommended resources, and learn more about what makes Sustain Sustain. Check out the website at 901sustaincoffee.com and follow us on Instagram at 901sustaincoffee. No question or thought is insignificant to us. So, Let your voice be heard. Until next time.